0: Warning, this podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences. A gunman was welcome anywhere if he arrived from the battlefields of St. Louis. What's up, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of STL True Crime exclusively on Underground St. Louis get ready to go deep. I'm your host, Sam Catanzaro. And to my left is the man of the chair, our producer of this podcast, Booster. How you doing, Booster? Uh, I'm doing good, folks. Uh, we
1: didn't we couldn't include Reverend Jenkins here, I'm afraid. We we're talking about crime. He's a very pious man, so we didn't want to, you know, dirty his reputation. Well, we're and also he's got him. he's
0: he's working. Yeah, tonight. he's also he's, he's also he's unavailable, yeah. but I you know, I thought I gave a fun excuse. Captain Frank Nally, an actual an Irishman. Okay, so just kind of give you a little background here uh, with everything. Uh, in in this day and age, everybody wants to you know defund the police. You know, de- not everybody, but there's a lot of uh, individuals, there are, there and are organizations yeah. calling to defund the police, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and police departments all over the country. not not just in one specific city, but all over the country. There's 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 calls for that, and because of this, I decided to kind of go deep into the history of the police of St. Louis here and kind of look and just be like, you know, I I wanted a, um, like a light to shine through, you know, something to say, Hey, look, there, there are cops that are, that are heroes, you know, and, uh, me being a history buff, I went, I went, deeper than i probably should have way back you know i could probably find someone in this day and age uh but i but i but i saw this and i was like holy crap and this one this one cop stuck out to me and that was uh captain frank nally and uh he, man, he was after after reading about him i'm like wow this guy is like a modern day uh it was like a modern day knight back then he, he really yeah, was yeah, yeah
1: from the uh from the article you were talking about uh like how, how he had a reputation for being like uh very good at like, uh, the physical part of the job. Like he was, he was good at like fighting yeah. and like, uh, you know, putting the, putting the, putting the thugs in their place. He was like, if, if,
0: if they, if the police department at the time wanted to do like a tug of war competition or wanted to do a baseball game right. or wanted, wanted to do like boxing or whatever, everybody wanted Frank Nally on their team. Uh, but just to kind of give you guys a little background of this, this is, this is in the late eight, odds uh, 19th century and early 20th century so we're talking about the turn of the century here all the way up to the roaring 20s okay all the way up through prohibition and all that kind of stuff that that frank nally uh lived and did his work so just kind of give you guys a little background i don't know if anybody is familiar with ireland but ireland um back then it was you know potato famine was happening people were moving out they were saying let's get the fuck out of ireland Mm -hmm and i don't blame them too because it was it was they were dirt poor people people were coming with the clothes on their back off the boat, I think over one million Irish died Economic of starvation. Refugees, yeah, yeah, and it, it was it was crazy. So Ireland was not the best place back then. It looked pretty, but it was yeah. hell on they earth. They actually,
1: uh, technically, uh, potato farmers still deal with the uh, same fungus that call that uh, caused the potato
0: famine. Oh, so it's not gone yet? No, not at all. And uh, for those of you that don't, so the Irish were dirt poor, but partially what? due to the British uh, suppressing. It's, I think them. it's called blight. Yeah, it yeah. was something, but they were dirt poor, and so mo- their their food. What their source of food was potatoes. Yeah, and it was like ten pounds of potatoes a day that an average Irish person. Well, I mean, would I
1: eat. mean, it is kind of on them for producing such a heavily monocultured society but yeah. Well, it, they had to. Yeah. The the British were I mean, suppressing sense, them yeah. so
0: much. So when when the great potato famine hit, this fungus hit and the potatoes dried up and were, there was no more starvation set in and people were dying. And so mm-hmm. people were coming over here to America on the boat and that's what that's when Frank Nally came in. So he was actually born in Claremorris, which is a city in County Mayo, Ireland, uh, in 1875. And he was one of 12 children. Can you imagine that? Like you you have I, I'm an only child. Yeah. You have two siblings. Can yeah. you imagine twelve altogether? You're one of twelve. Uh,
1: well, uh, I mean, no, it's kinda hard to, honestly. But uh my uh my grandmother actually uh had twelve brothers. And so she and she was the only girl, and so she oh, had to wow. cook for all of them. And so, like every time we'd come over uh, for like just like a family gathering or whatever, it would be like five of us coming over. She'd cook like there were twenty coming. And they over. and they yeah. they <laughs> let her. They
0: let they let a man take her out on a date. <laughs> that many that many brothers. Holy uh, shit! You know what? Uh, uh, my I
1: mean, my grandfather. Pretty pretty honorable guy, so I'm not surprised he got through, but... <laughs> well, that's, that's cool.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so he was... Uh, Frank Nally was one of 12 children, and uh, at the age of 18, he immigrated to the United States. And some of his family stayed in Ireland, and mm-hmm. others uh, came to the United States as well. But uh, he actually ran a saloon with his brother, Eugene, here in St. Louis. And uh, I couldn't really find a lot of information, but man, I, can you imagine... Owning a saloon back then in the late 1800s, early uh,
1: back when you literally had to have a bar mirror to make yeah. sure that no one was robbing you. Currently. Exactly, that's yeah. the thing.
0: That's that's <laughs> that's legend. Why we have mirrors behind bars mm-hmm. is because. Uh, they got robbed so frequently. Well, they would get the robbed had or had to turn around every or time. Or a gunman would come up and put the gun to the back of your yeah. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like it wasn't like a Clint Eastwood movie where you're like, "Let's step outside, take 10 paces and see who's yeah, who's uh-huh. the real man." No, no, it was I'm going to knife you or I'm going to shoot you in the back at these at these old saloons like in the old West days. So, that's that's, Definitely. that's literally why we have mirrors behind bars yeah. so you can see. Also, it's decorative and all that kind of stuff, but that's, I mean,
1: yeah, they made it look good, but I mean, they served a functional purpose. <laughs> so if if
0: you're, a, if you're a saloon keeper back then and you're dealing with, you know, the old west style of drinking where Not it was like fighting, drinking, cocaine shooting. and heroin oh, were like readily it. available yeah. like
1: at any corner pharmacy. So, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't it was even worse than today, I'd imagine, like because they didn't even know about like out al- like blood alcohol content or yeah, anything like that. Exactly. Just like, oh, he fell over like he could be dying of alcohol poisoning right now. And you wouldn't even know.
0: So imagine that imagine actually, imagine actually like running a saloon back then. You got to be a tough, badass motherfucker. And that was, that was Frank Nally and his brother. I mean, they, they, I mean, think about the guys that you had to throw out. Think about the fights (laughs) you had to break up. Think about the fights that you got in. You, you had to be, you had to be tough as nails. And uh, so for him to come over here at um, the age of 18 and just start running a saloon in in a country in a foreign country i mean uh that that's crazy so, i mean
1: like you kind of had to as an uh as part of the irish immigrant crowd because uh i believe you referenced it in the piece uh nina uh no irish need apply was in a lot of like store businesses like yeah. people wanted nothing to do with them uh very very hard road for almost every racial minority that comes into america but the irish I think had it particularly hard.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm glad he brought that up. So um, what you know, everybody talks about you know in this day and age, it's almost like we have like a uh, like a victim Olympics. You know, everybody kind of wants to say you know, well, you know, my people were this, my people were that, my people were that. Not not to not to victimize the Irish, uh, because they because they fought and they worked their way up from oppression. But uh, they yeah, the the Nina laws were, Nina N I N A stood for No Irish Need Apply and uh so literally signs would be in the window saying help wanted no irish need apply and what the funny thing is was when i was doing research on this article i was looking up on uh newspapers.com and was finding ads in the early 1900s in newspapers and they were like describing uh, um like maid wanted okay mm-hmm. uh clerk wanted and then they would say preferably protestant or they would have protestant maid wanted they hated catholics and they hated the Irish and because yeah. they, they were afraid that the Irish were like the Pope's uh, new army, you know, like in, in gangs in New York. What is this, the Pope's new army? A bunch of ragtag, crusty bitches and all you know. of
1: Well, I mean, stuff. historically, that's not a crazy idea, though.
0: Well, no. Well, they they were they were very in loyal Germany, to the Vatican, yeah. And so they, the what Catholic the, princes in Germany. What the Americans were afraid of were the Irish actually coming over and uh, bringing in Catholic culture, and basically it would kind of get rid of American culture altogether. Right. Um. And they would want to bow down to the Pope, and they would take orders from Rome instead of actual, um, America. So. Yeah, work for these immigrants was very difficult to find, and uh, factories and shops, you know, they displayed the NINA signs, and the only jobs that they could get were most of the time were civil service jobs uh, that were dirty, they were dangerous, um, which included police officers and firefighters, right? And because uh, they there were jobs that no one wanted, and uh, both of these careers were considered uh, undesirable due to low pay. And I mean, I mean, if you really think about it, we kind of still pay cops, you know, not as much as you think that they should. I or mean, I don't sometimes know the, like firefighters, they got the great pension deals yeah. and all that kind of, they, they got really great, great pension benefits and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but like, like teachers, cops, all that kind of stuff, the people that really make this you know, country yeah. great. Um, but yeah, so they, they didn't want them for, uh low pay and few benefits and poor working conditions but the Irish they they gladly accepted them because they were careers that they could actually get and they were hoping the Irish were actually hoping that it would make them a part of mainstream America um and in a way they were correct yeah it, it really did a, I mean, in a big really, way they were correct and which is which is cool now because when we look back on it, you know this is this is you know about a hundred years removed and now when everybody hated the Irish, uh, back then, now it's like on St. Patrick's Day, everybody's Irish, you know, <laughs> da, 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 you know, like all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, you know, cue the bagpipes and the and the jigs. <laughs> like a- everybody's Irish now. So uh, that was. Do, do you uh, side note? Do
1: do you like like the green beer, shamrock? Oh, kiss yeah. me I'm shit faced like kind of like oh, element yeah. to it like I mean like it's fun no question yeah it's, but, I mean like it's
0: not really St. Patrick Irish like it's it's we, Irish we all know American. they don't actually do it's that. Irish American yeah. just like just like if like we talk about the hill being an Italian American mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying they're Italian Americans have a way different culture than actual Italians over in Italy very true. You I won't I tell, find pasta prima. I tell I tell Tyrese all the time. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Tyrese, you're black, but I got way more in common with you. Probably 99 percent more in common with you than I would a zip from Italy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like just because like we're we're Americans, you yeah. know, there there's a whole big. Uh, um, there you know there, there's a whole big thing there so yeah the that, that's Irish American you know the green beer you know top of the morning tail of it, the right, morning. you know all that kind of stuff so uh but yeah but Frank nally this is the era that he was in and he at the age of 24 I guess he got tired of being a saloon keeper uh he he joined the police department and uh and yeah and I guess that that was more stable work and he joined it in 1899 that was the year that he joined the police department. So literally turn of the century. right at the turn of the century, he the joined fun, this yeah. police department. And uh the St. Louis Police Department back then, I mean, it was you had patrolmen going on patrol. and the cool thing is is uh well, not a cool thing. this is kind of dangerous. They would sometimes patrol alone. <clears throat> they would have batons with them. Now, I don't think a lot of them carried guns back then. So it was very was more
1: almost like a very much like a like almost like a British constable. Almost. Does that makes sense. Yeah, you know, almost because I like I seem to remember a lot of like I don't know like TV's and movie movies growing up they didn't have like two or three of them at a time. It's usually like one guy, with, one guy with
0: a with the billy club walking yeah. the street, and yeah, and so you had to be a tough guy because you know if you got a little gang, you know, of like say three or four people, you're against three or four people, you yeah. know. So this this is his first uh, assignment as a patrolman, uh, Frank Nally was uh, he was assigned to the Laclede Avenue District. And at that time, it was a major stomping ground for like hoodlums, uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, for his tenacious fighting skills, though, the gangsters around that area of the time uh, gave Nally the nickname Bull. They called him the Bull. Because he was so, he was such a badass, and he was such a good fighter, and uh, he was actually, now he was actually quoted in the Post Dispatch, uh, actually reminiscing of the days when he first started as a patrolman. He said, "quote." The gangsters of those days were men and not dirty little cowards like the gunmen we got now. It was good, clean fighting with them with fists or maybe a cobblestone or half a brick. Many's the night I'd be walking by the alley between Olive and Locust, east of Jefferson. And one of them guys would holler that if I didn't have that club in my hands, I, would, I wouldn't dare show up around there. So I'd throw the club over the fence and go down the alley after him. It so was like It was good clean Oh really bitch? It was good clean fighting go. with fists or maybe a cobblestone or half a brick. I do like I do
1: like that story uh, though. I, it's like it, it's like they dare him. It's like I bet you wouldn't come down here with that freaking <laughs> billy club. I bet you wouldn't do that. Okay. And then he literally just goes, "Oh go.
0: yeah? yeah." And then <laughs> let's go. He he basically puts your hands up, uh, man. Yeah. Let's oh go. Oh my god. That's uh that's crazy. Almost like
1: John Wayne in The Quiet Man if anyone knows that reference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the 52 uh, 1952 When film. I was
0: when I was reading this quote, I wanted to almost read it like with an Irish brogue. So I'm going <laughs> to so I'm going to try I'm going to try like the first the first sentence. Oh, the dear. gangsters the gangsters of those days were men and not dirty little cowards like the gunmen we got now. Right. It was good clean fighting with them with fists or maybe a cobblestone or half a brick. <laughs>
1: Slightly posh,
0: but it was actually there, pretty there good. Go. So, yeah, right. so right, that right. uh, that that Frank that Frank Nally, he actually spoke with the heavy Irish brogue. And for those of you out there, if you guys don't know what a brogue is, that's the you know, top of the morning tail out of oh, your wee little son of a sheep shagger. <laughs> like, that was that <laughs> that's actually so a brogue is an actual Irish accent. Like when you when you hear mm-hmm. Connor when you have Connor McGregor, you know, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. That's that's uh Drink that's my a whiskey. <laughs> that's a brogue. Uh but yeah, What no. is the
1: name of his whiskey again?
0: Seven? Proper Proper Twelve. Proper twelve proper Proper twelve. There. I proper think 12. I think it's proper twelve, yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, guys, it was a different era of policing back then, and crime was rampant through the city. Uh patrolman, like we said, would walk a beat alone and uh, armed with that armed with that billy club or baton, whatever you want to call it. And uh, during one of Nally's arrests, when he was actually arresting somebody, get this, Booster, he was attacked by 20 people when he was arresting, when he was trying to take in a prisoner. 20? 20. 20 people came after him and attacked him. And uh, luckily he survived and the prisoner was success- successfully detained. But can you imagine arresting somebody and then just 20 people? come after you and you got you you barely have anything <laughs> it's just you and and you're you're fighting them off and oh you're doing God. this and all that kind like, of stuff so it's bad Yeah, he up. was he was jumped yeah. by 20 people like I, that that's... scene in
1: uh Green Street hooligans where uh where uh a sh- uh, goddamn Elijah Wood uh gets like knocked up against the wall and they put the credit card in his mouth and say we're going to give you a Birmingham smile yeah and But all of a
0: sudden, like all of the the mates come out of the crazy, yeah. The crazy thing is, is that's that was three guys, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I
1: mean, it was like six or something like that, but. Yeah, and you oh my God! Like, still, like, like multiply that by three, you still haven't got as many people are going to be wailing on you. Seriously, yeah,
0: seriously. So yeah, it, it was crazy. So it was a different era of policing, but but point is, is Frank Nally was a badass. So oh, yeah, they uh they actually they actually had him work up the ladder. Uh, he was uh so he was. He, like, like I said, he was, he was known as a star throughout the department. He was <clears throat> just physically strong, physically fit. And he was actually uh, worked his way up to sergeant and eventually lieutenant. He was then given command of the North Market District. And uh, due to his involvement and policing, he ended the reign of a gang of boxcar thieves headed by this guy named Joe Yellow Smith. And these boxcar thieves would shoot at cops and do their looting at night and actually during the day these boxcar thieves would actually like put up like effigies uh using whatever they could find make them making them look like cops and actually like down on the docks like do target practice against these effigies like like because they knew that they were going to shoot at cops so they were practicing. Right. Can you imagine a gang doing that today like broad daylight out in the open like on a riverfront like we're going to shoot cops and like you know all that kind of stuff. Like it was it was nuts back then. And they and they would rob box cars and box cars, you know, the the train industry back then was everything. They didn't have interstate trucking back then. I mean, they had trucking and stuff like that, but it was very it was fairly young train got everything. Um tr- train was Train train was how you got everything you know from place to place back then. Definitely, or, I mean, uh, or, or uh, river barge boat, or river river boats boat, or anything like yeah. that. But train was huge, and uh, like the large, I think
1: we're the largest river port in America. I want to say possibly. Yeah, possibly. I think the only I think the only one that uh, competes is in New York. I can't remember the name though.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like, so they were they were robbing boxcars, and there's there was a lot of money in there. So I mean, he had to go and stop them, but he actually um, he stopped them. He stopped uh, Joe, Joe Yellow and the boxcar thieves. Uh, he obtained enough evidence to send the leaders to prison. And the rest of the gang, uh, uh, they left the district. So yeah, he, he locked them all up. So Frank, go, Frank Nally, yeah, Frank Nally did all that. So this is where we kind of get into the mafia. This is where we get into the mob back in those days. Be careful, Sam. Uh, prohibition. C- I know, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Third rail topic here. I'm like I said, we're not we're not stating any names of people that are alive right now. These people have been dead for about hundred years now. All that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I just, especially I just, not said, Johnny two times. Yeah, yeah. What's the uh, 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 what what is the? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is what was his name though? And it was Jimmy Jimmy two times. Johnny two times. What was it Johnny two times? Yeah, I thought it was Jimmy two times.
1: We got Johnny Jimmy. We got to I mean, watch Goodfellas.
0: Like, like, we got to watch Goodfellas again and actually see. Like, I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers. He's, 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 he's petting pet his tie down and everything. Yeah. So uh, no. So for for his uh, for his bravery and his uh, and him locking up all these thieves and all that kind of stuff, he was promoted to captain. And it was actually said that he was married to the police department. Uh, he, he was a bachelor. He lived alone at like some hotel. He had a room at the hotel. And that was it. And uh, he he they, they said in all these articles, they said he was not financially ambitious. And his huh. sa- his salary was enough for him. And he was known to take no favors or handouts, which back then for a cop was unusual.
1: I mean, it really, like, really was. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe they called it on the arm. I believe that was the official term for it. You got something on the arm. Um, which essentially which means you got it for free. But it was I mean like obviously like kickbacks are one thing, like actual bribery is one thing.
0: But like I think a lot of people would just get like,
1: oh, here's some pasta for your for your family. Have a good night. Well know, and, you know, and, and bribery like
0: bribery could be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be a money. True. Uh true. You know, currency Goods, goods or hands. currency, yeah. Yeah. Good goods and services, or services are, yeah. are technically forms of bribery. Like, it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be a cash. You scratch payment. my back, I'll scratch exactly, yours. Exactly, exactly. So bribery is a very but but he was said to take no handouts, uh take no money, all that kind of stuff. Which is it it's it's admirable, but it's dangerous in a couple ways. Because now the criminals know fuck we can't buy this guy off. So either we kill him someone else off to get rid of them, whether you know they they murder them or whatever. Also, if you are such a clean cop, and there's other cops around you in that department or anything like that uh, that are also taking handouts, it's dangerous for you because for sure. they they feel like they can't trust you. That was the whole. Uh, if anybody's seen American Gangster with Denzel Washington and uh, yeah and uh, Russell Crowe, beautiful scene when he finds like a million dollars in cash. And his partner's like, we can't turn this in. He's like, why not? And he's like, because all the cops that take handouts won't trust us anymore. They won't want to work with us. They'll make our lives miserable. Huh. Like, we can't turn this in. And he ended up turning in the money. You know what I'm saying? And that's how he got he got assigned to this task force and stuff like that. That was kind of Frank Nally. Frank Nally wouldn't take a handout at all. So for his reward for being so brave, for being such a good cop... And, it, and you can call this a reward or, or not, but they gave him the, <laughs> they put him in charge of the 4th District uh, of St. Louis, or at that time it was known as the Carr Street District. And it was dubbed by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in many articles back in the day, and actually many articles today that still write about this era, uh, the toughest district in town. Mm. It was it was so dirty and it was so corrupt and there was so much crime and they they ended up putting frank nally in charge of it what do you do you think that they did it because he was good or do you think they did it because he was so good they were like let's see him you know what i'm saying like where why do you think they put him in charge you, you know think it was do you think it was because of merit or do you think it was like oh he thinks he's such a big shot let's see how he does with this i think it could be that
1: uh you know i mean I always kind of look at something and then uh, I kind of try to assign, like, a percentage of reasons to it. Like, like was it 50% this, 50% that? Yeah. But I'm looking at it kind of like, maybe it was just because he was tough and they wanted someone who could take it. Like, who's not going to get, like, upset about a setback. He's just going to come back two times harder. Right. You know what I mean? So I feel like, you know... All from all the stories. I mean, obviously, we can't talk to this guy unless we call Doctor Mark Farley with seeaghost.com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he does. He'd a probably he'd probably there. do it. Um, but we. Uh, I don't know. Like, it makes sense that they would like put like kind of a tough cop, someone who has like a reputation for not taking any shit. Obviously, like, I mean, not taking bribes. Obviously, he was right. a clean. By All reports he was a clean cop. So. In, at least in terms of like uh, the bribes he was, <laughs> who I mean who knows like back in those days, yeah. Like, I like the infringements on uh, civil liberties in terms of like you know you know taking
0: a punch here and there. I like I like to think that they put him in charge because they knew that he wasn't going to go down easy. You know what I'm yeah, saying? That's, they, yeah, that's they know they know he wasn't easy to roll over, and also also other cops were scared of him. I, they, they wanted to impress him or they were just afraid that he was going to come after them um, as far as them being a bad cop and this and that. But he, really, he really kept uh, held, held people accountable and kept people huh. in check. But yeah, so so they gave him the Car Street District. So some of you might be asking yourselves, well, why the hell was the Car Street District so bad? Okay, is the 4th District and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the 4th District now, if I'm not mistaken, 4th District ha- now has like Central West End in it now so i mean like relatively police, nice now it's certain certain areas yeah certain areas fourth is not it's 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 uh certain areas are nice other certain other areas are pretty bad mm. uh i i forget exactly what the fourth district um entails like what areas uh for st louis police department uh if anybody down in the comments or anything like that uh knows if they're, if they're a cop or anything like that or familiar with the districts let us know but Why was the 4th District so bad? Why was Carr Street District so bad? Uh, Well, as we said, it was the roaring 1920s. It was the roaring 20s. uh, Bootlegging was on the rise. Prohibition was put into effect. And just everybody, um, prohibition was put into effect and everybody was bootlegging. Everybody was getting rich off of um, illegal liquor sales I mean whether whether you were producing it whether you were distributing it or whether you were getting you know a kickback from it or a handout from it uh, so many people were making illegal money and it just so happened that in that district in the Car Street district that two Italian American mafia gangs were at war with one another and uh, not to mention the other gang wars that were actually taking a place around the rest of st. Louis as we said there were there were seven organized, Crime groups at this time uh, around the city, and they and there were multiple wars going on. So, like two families could be, or not two families, but two gangs could be warring, and then one of those two gangs is also warring with another gang, and then this gang over here allied with that gang over there, but that gang over there might not like the gang over here. So it was like shoot them up, action bullshit over there. Hmm. It was as soon as you saw somebody. <clears throat> You'd you'd go after him. And and it wasn't like it wasn't like New York or Chicago where it was very, very spaced out and you had big territories. This was St. Louis. So your enemy could literally be right across the street. Or your enemy could just be literally a couple blocks away. You could see your enemy walking that almost get sounds
1: on. like an IRA type situation yeah, it was, where it's like, you know, one street over and like you're in danger.
0: Yeah. It it was it it's it's freaking it's it's nuts. By the way, the uh, this
1: is the current fourth district of uh St. Louis, but apparently it uh
0: stretches. I I there. think I think pretty pretty similar to what yeah the, what the Car Street District was, uh back then. I don't That's think they what really it is now. redrew the lines and all that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah. So the uh, the two the two mafia gangs that were at each other's and but, but by the way, when we say mafia. When we say mafia, I'm not talking about La Cosa Nostra, the Five Families. Yeah, I'm not yeah. talking about La Cosa Nostra, the the current structure that they that they have now. You know, if they did exist, you know, all that kind of stuff. But head uh, head wink, wink. Right. But you know, we're not talking about the current structure. We're talking. This was before Lucky Luciano set up the commission. This was before. Um, there was actually structure. This was before they actually ran it as a business. We say mafia. These were, these were guys that came over from the, from the old country, and they were ruthless. They really were. And it was if if you killed somebody, there was no like, hey, let's have a meeting, and maybe somebody gets a payoff. You know what I'm saying? If you stole something that you weren't supposed to, let's let's have a meeting. Let's settle this like businessmen. That that came later on. That was like you know Lucky Luciano, Vito Genovese, Frank Costello. This was if if you steal from me. You die. I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe out your whole family. If you if you like come come after me. If you insult me, I'm gonna kill you. It was it was very back then. It was so there they were a mafia as far as organized crime, but they were ruthless. They had no structure, and there were so many gangs that that I was gonna say they 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 were more
1: like the original mafia were more of like a regional thing, weren't they? Like it wasn't just like in, like over in Sicily and stuff like yeah that. like like it wasn't I mean like you had like your local mafia yeah as you had compared, compared your local to like people a,
0: shaking you down and all that kind of stuff yeah it, it wasn't as compared like, to like a New York a lot family, of people it's like a lot of people when they watch they reach when they watch the Godfather Godfather is mm-hmm. is an opera of the mob um, it's not it wasn't like that. Back then it it was, it was very, very ruthless. uh, And, and they, they went out, there was, there was something called black hand extortion where they would actually, uh, um, shake, shake down a person. They would call them up and they'd say like, Hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, we have your son and they they would like kidnap your son and then be like, be like, give me $20,000. We know you have the money. Give, give us $20,000. You give them $20,000 and you get your son back there. There's tons of cases of like, you know, two kids go missing and then they end up in Chicago, but they went missing from St. Louis because the family paid and then they go, okay, your kids are up there. Go get them. Thanks. We'll shake you down later. Like that was, that was <laughs> something that, that was something that they brought over from the old country right. and they would, they would shake down businesses and all that kind of stuff. So when we talk about this, the, these, these two mafia gangs, they're, they're gone now. They're gone. There's no long gone. They're they're long gone. Everything like that. Um. So anyway, the two mafia gangs that were at each other's throats were the Green ones, led by the Gianola brothers, and uh, with Alphonse Palazzolo as their underboss, and the Russo gang, also known as the American Boys, uh, and with uh headed by their boss Willie Russo. And the reason why the Russo gang was called the American Boys was because the Green ones were like the older Sicilians that came on over. Okay. And then the American boys were the younger Sicilians okay. that, that had been born here and raised in America. They had been born to, like, Italian immigrants, raised here in America, or they came over here when they were very young. Where, gotcha. where the green ones were more, they came over <laughs> here when they were teenagers or young adults. So you had, like, this older Sicilian faction versus this younger Sicilian faction. The older Sicilian faction kind of... They, they kind of held on to the old Sicilian ways, whereas the um, American boys, the Russo gang, held, were, were American. They, they were like, <laughs> okay, we got these old ways mixed in with our American ways. If, if you really want to think about it, uh, Lucky Luciano and Frank Costello and Vito Genovese, they were technically like the American boys. They were huh. They were born <clears throat> to Italian immigrants, but when they came over here, they didn't really remember Sicily that well they they grew up in america they were they were american so they learned american business and they attributed that with um with with uh sicilian values then they kind of they kind of merged the two and you saw it in the uh, in the murder of a salvatore Mar- maranzano maranzano uh was a sicilian immigrant he was older and maranzano wa- wanted uh, luciano to to go and just everything be sicilian and then Luciano killed him because it's like your old way of thinking is gone that's 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 basically what he said so the, yeah the Russo gang were the younger guys the green ones were the older guys and they were at each other's throats actually the, the Russo gang actually used to work for the green ones and then they broke off and said screw this we're going to start our own thing so uh before Captain Nally took over the district uh the gang war had just popped off and five men were gunned down in various parts of the city within weeks of, of the gang war starting. And uh, some died from blast of a shotgun, machine gun, or pistol. And that was pretty much the, uh, that, that was, that, I would say that that was pretty much the, the standard method of killing was shooting, um, it, it wasn't like at times you would have a couple knife victims. At times you would have a couple of victims who were choked and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember sometimes you had sometimes yeah. you would have victims disappear. But back then it was like wild, wild west. If they saw you, they weren't going to plan it. They weren't going to, you know, they wanted to kill you in the street because they wanted everybody in the neighborhood to fear them. Whereas like when the mob started evolving. People would just go missing. People would disappear. Because they were like, it's going to bring negative attention. You know what I'm saying?
1: Whereas like... Whereas like law enforcement clamps down when you perform those kind of like very public
0: uh, acts of like complete brutality. Exactly. And back then, all seven gangs, not just these two that we're talking about, all seven gangs back then... Would would murder somebody in the street, cold blood, and, that's, they, and they wanted because it was because like, literally the wild west. Like they yeah. see, you, bam, they were flexing. They wanted people to be afraid. They wanted people to live in fear of them. They wanted to say, okay, this is what happens if you do not pay. This is this is what's going to happen. They they wanted you to be found. They wanted this. They wanted to make a statement back then, uh, because there was there was so much money, and that just goes to show you how much prohibition was back then. Like how much money. That it was making, it right. was it was huge amounts of money, and there was a lot at stake, and people are willing to kill. It's like nowadays, like with the war on drugs, like the the cartels and shit like that. Think about that. That was kind of how it was like, but in the 1920s, here, and it was just people were dying, and and eventually they they lifted the law. That it's the same thing. I mean, interestingly the,
1: enough, the uh, the cartels are starting to do kind of similar to what the uh, the families did. They're starting to the evolve mafia. and get more into yeah. business, and like yeah. legitimate businesses diversify. Like, uh, I, I I think it's less now, but at one point, like all of the imported avocados, like were run by cartel businesses. Yeah, in Mexico, j- which was, is crazy. Like, there's only like one place in all of America that you can get an avocado grown here, and that's in like Southern California. What's crazy? else you, is in-
0: If you look at, uh, if you look over in uh, um, Japan, the yakuza yakuza own tons of legitimate businesses oh yeah mm-hmm. and they own they, like they cell actually, phone companies yeah <laughs> like which is weird they actually they actually act like uh yeah they, they, they mm-hmm. want to be businessmen and they're they're like no 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 it's, really they, weird yeah it's 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 crazy you know but yeah no so that's kind of that's what it was back then though it was just shoot 'em up action bullshit and they were they're going after one another and if you if you talked in that neighborhood back then you were gonna die if 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 you talk to the cops you're going to die. There were tons of articles I saw where witnesses recanted their their testimonies. Like at the last minute. They, God, were like, I wonder why. they were like, "Nope. Nope. Can you imagine sitting across a courtroom and these people are just looking at you like if you say anything we're going to kill you." Why like, and 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 that and the the police can't stop you. Well, one police officer came up, it was a captain and that was Frank Nally. He actually he actually fought uh, against it and so he definitely had his hands full and at first kind of the gangsters what they, what they were trying to do uh they were going to try and make peace with uh with with uh the captain and uh nally's friend uh who was a uh, it was a catholic priest his name was timothy dempsey he did a lot of work in st louis did a lot of good charity work all that kind of stuff but he knew many of the sicilian gangsters in that area and uh, he would claim that they're not all bad he would sit down with them, he'd talk to them, this and that. But remember that old saying, like in Goodfellas, your murderers come with smiles? Like, of course they're going to be nice to you, and this and that, blah, blah, lot. And so he uh, he, he said that they were not all bad. So one day, Father Tim was on the street, and he was talking to the Green Ones boss, Vito Gianola. And uh, when Captain Alley approached, uh, Father Tim said, Frank, I want you to shake hands with Vito here. He's not a bad boy at all. And now he replied with an Irish whisper, and I'm going to try and do this in a in a brogue accent, okay? okay. So, uh, begging your reverence as pardon, I won't shake hands with a dirty thief. <laughs> That's what, so I mean, he, he he straight up said to him, no, I'm not going to shake hands. He, he him. probably sounds more like,
1: I don't he like, probably, like, he probably not, not li- as much. Less like a, a little less like gay a, boy,
0: less, <laughs> less, less like a little leprechaun. Oh, but dear. uh, <laughs> begging your reverence pardon. I won't shake hands with the dirty thief. He he was, he was literally, he was just, he was just like, you know, and then and the video Gino was like, oh, okay, I see how it is. you're not gonna shake hands with me. You want to do business with me? I'll do business with you. Like, it was a whole big They, they were, they, they didn't like one another, and he, and he made it perfectly clear, you know, there's that old saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So he could have made friends right there with them and this and that, blah, and, and then worked another angle no no frank nally was like fuck you i don't like you and, and in a lot of in a lot of um uh court cases uh that were uh that were quoted in these articles and stuff like that he literally would get up and say i don't i don't i don't like them i hate them they're thieves they're criminals they're murderers like and he and he would say <laughs> he was very blunt with with how he right. thought uh and he he knew that he was not going to let them slide uh so he he was quote-unquote harassing them, these gangsters that he knew, so much so that uh, William Russo, Anthony Russo, and Jimmy Russo, they appealed to the court for an injunction to actually restrain Captain Nally from raiding their filling station." Okay, they had a filling station at the intersection of 7th and O'Fallon Streets. And uh, Captain Nally, uh, he, uh, he alleged that it was a hangout for gangsters. He said there's tons of gangsters there. There's illegal activity there. And, uh, and he was pissed that they actually got this injunction, that the court put an injunction on him to not investigate this filling station. So you know what he did? In spite of the court's injunction, he single-handedly went to the filling station, arrested tons of notable characters that were actually wanted... And uh, he found three illegal firearms, and then he was called into court because he went against the injunction. (laughs) And uh, after, and he had a hearing, and after the hearing, the injunction was lifted, and all these guys were (laughs) were charged. Jesus, he basically said, "Fuck you" to the court. Like, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna get them. There's criminal activity there. I'm gonna find out what it is. So this was a guy that was hell bent on cleaning up uh, his street. And William Russo in uh, in an article. In the article, actually, uh, said uh, to him, "Hey, you know," he claimed that that the captain's harassment uh, was uh, ruining his filling station business. And apparently, he went from like making, I want to say, like he went from making like a hundred dollars a day to twenty dollars a day. The the business from making a hundred dollars a day at that filling station to twenty dollars a day. Jeez. And Frank <clears throat> Alley replied to the court. He said, "Let it rot." <laughs> <laughs> and he basically <laughs> said like burn it down uh there there's a couple other um yeah but they, i am is, sherman you are georgia <laughs> and then this is this is what they did so they would they would go and this is what nally nally actually knew his shit and uh they the the italian blackhand extortionists or these gangsters these mafia guys they they would shake down italian merchants uh and and not they would they would do anonymous uh they would send anonymous letters all that kind of stuff uh and they they would levy a certain fixed percentage from this from this business so they would say hey look you're making probably what you know let's say you know a thousand a week which back then was you know a lot okay you're making a thousand a week turn of the center or yeah. again 1920s I we guess. want we want twenty percent of that we want two hundred dollars we want twenty percent a week or ten percent a week we know yeah. what you make. We're gonna come back every fucking week. That's that's what it is. And and if you don't, you know, uh, they they were either ganged, which is bitches just beaten in the street, uh, or they uh, their place was shot up, or they stood in danger of being killed. They would actually sometimes the guys would actually come on in and just check the books. Like, can you imagine some guy? Hey, I want to check your books. I don't think I don't think I'm shaking you down for enough, or I don't think you're paying me enough. Here, I'm going to go through what? your books. Yeah, that was... Uh, but see, that was what they did in the old country. Because uh, Sicily was constantly conquered by... Uh, and I'm not making any excuses for them, but that's just what they knew. Sicily, they, they looked at the mob as a more stable uh, form of like a ruling class. Than, than the actual ruling class. Cause Sicily changed hands. It's the most conquered island in history. It's actually the most conquered piece of land in history. So many people held on to Sicily, and the Sicilians yeah. are there like, what the fuck? What about us? And nobody cared about them. So yeah, these these local, you know, Mafia chieftains and all that kind of stuff. This is something that went back thousands and thousands of years. Even like during Roman times, this stuff was happening. So uh, yeah, no, but they so Nally he knew he he figured it out. He actually knew uh, where to hit them where it hurts? He actually, um, he, he actually found a way, uh, and so, like, John Gianola, Vito's brother, right, actually bragged that <laughs> that he, uh, that Captain Alley would never arrest him. Can you imagine? like just just going like out there like yeah i'm not gonna get arrested fuck them if they want to arrest me i'm right here come and arrest me come and arrest me (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i mean i guess you could do that now and if a cop if it's like you like stand-up citizen and a a cop's like well we really don't have anything on them uh you know excuse me sir am i being detained right no right have a nice day so that's what that's what this guy said this 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 john ginola brother of Vito one of the leaders of the green ones uh he said that uh that yeah he's he's never going to uh he's never going to arrest me so when captain nally heard this cuz back then everybody gossiped when captain nally heard this he goes fuck that and an hour later he was hauling john giannola into the station and john giannola had a had like a black eye busted lips and uh and like was bleeding <laughs> and they asked what happened and nally like said he fell <laughs> and and said, "Book him on suspicion of murder." He fell, and they were like a couple of times. Well, well it's, you got to say it in an Irish accent. It's an Irishman, say. He well, fell a couple of times. He Fell a couple of times. I don't he know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to him. He's just a he's just a klutz, That one. Oh dear, <laughs> he's got he's got two left feet. Oh my, <laughs> <laughs> mercy me! But uh, no, yeah. So uh, yeah, he was like he was like no, John Gino uh, He said, "Book him on murder." And they were like, "What murder?" So he said, "Suspicion of murder." Well, what murder? What I don't know. Just book him on suspicion of murder. <laughs> and he, eventually, he he harassed a John Giannola. He harassed John Ginola So times John Ginola was a known gangster. He was a, he was a known uh, criminal. Right. He had like ties to Detroit or all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And uh, he eventually left St. Louis, John Ginola He was like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Also, he had like a beef with his brother, which we'll probably get into um, in another, uh, STL crime history episode. But, uh, yeah, when he came back, he came back in like 1931, he left in 1928, came back in 1931 at f- the first stop that he made was to go see captain Frank Nally and said, Hey, I'm done with the bootlegging business. I'm done with the, sh- uh, with the extortion business, all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to go straight this and that. And now didn't believe him. And Nally ended up arresting him like three or four more times <laughs> until, until John Giannola got the point, uh, to, to get the hell out of there. Nowadays, that would be police harassment. Nowadays, that's totally against the book. But back then, you got to understand, this was a different time. Like, these guys were...
1: Absolutely. I mean, well, nowadays, I mean, like, there are advancements in law enforcement um, and also in, I mean, sadly, kind of a surveillance state. Uh, There are ways to prove, uh, you know, people were... At a certain place, at a certain time, you know, blood tests, DNA. Right. Like, like we have all these methods now to kind of, like, prove incontrovertibly that uh, these crimes occurred and that these were the people who did it. But, like, back then, I mean, like, you had none of that. You You had eyewitnesses, and short of that, you didn't really have anything.
0: Yeah, and like so, that so you could bring to, to, to a
1: judge. So you actually, ha- I mean, there was kind of a role, a uh, hold that the police had to fill, as almost kind of like an occupying army, and that yeah. it, it was it was totally sell, or uh, or it was totally imposed by the people who wanted crime to stop. So it wasn't like uh, like, like as you said, it was more of like a knight regent. Rather, rather than like, uh, like a police captain, like he actually like he actually
0: was he was fighting a war. Why the the criminals were fighting a war, the the underworld was fighting a war, and he was the guy that was going to put a stop to that war. So he was actually fighting the war. He was he was he was fighting a war with the war. He was doing it without killing, though. He was. Which I think
1: is is the important line that I, I think that they didn't cross back then is that like if you killed, I mean, like obviously they like that's amoral as a police officer, but like he's using. The courts. He's using his tools, uh, the tools on his belt. The arrests, um, the harassment, for lack of a better term, uh, of like of that of that filling station. As you said, they cut their business by like. Eighty percent. But then and but like, then when he the finally, they complained about it, he's like, I don't But then shit. when he
0: finally raided him, he found a whole bunch of criminals there that were wanted three pistols, this and that, yeah. blah, blah. Like it's like hmm, maybe you had something there. You know, you know, the maybe funny there thing shouldn't is, have been is an injunction. The Giannola brothers, Vito and John, they offered uh local government officials twenty five thousand dollars to have Nally removed as captain and like Nally had to fight that grand. there was a lot of po- government officials that that took the money and that wanted them removed and there were a lot of the government officials and a lot of the community stood up and said no we want Nally here he's doing good keep him here he was never removed but they offered him 25 grand which back then in the 1920s that's cra- that's like that's like a, almost a quarter of a million dollars at least a hundred grand a quarter of a million. It's up there for sure. Dollars. It's yeah. definitely. I mean, they offered it's them significant. they offered them a lot of money to get rid of this police captain. I mean, like uh, we're,
1: we're talking about a time when it was like maybe like a high-paying job was like a quarter an hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the kind of like pay we're talking
0: about here. So, we talk about like what he was doing. You said that he did this without murdering. He did this without killing, without stooping down to their uh their level. Let me kind of tell you uh what he did. Uh, so Nally style was attrition. He was relentless on the gangs and he showed no fear. Uh, he organized hard hitting homicide squads and brought gang related murders in his district to a near halt. Think about that. Think about that. There's a war going on in your district. So many people are dying, getting killed left and right, gangsters and innocents, and you bring gang related murders almost to a near halt. That's how good he was. Uh, Two cases that were cleared up uh, by the Irish captain were uh, the gangland assassination of Alphonse Palazzolo, which we'll get into. That's a very interesting story that actually has to do with uh, the gang war here in St. Louis and actually has to do with Al Capone and the war up in Chicago Uh, and the extortion kidnapping of Sam Scorfina. Uh, Sam Scorfina was kidnapped. It was kind of like what we said, those those black hand extortion kidnappings and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Now, he also advised Russo gang boss, William Russo, uh, I think he kind of had a liking to Russo because Russo actually would sit down with them, and they'd be sort of there was a there was a mutual respect there. Nally still hated what he was, still hated him, uh, it still still hated that the fact that he was a criminal, that he was a murderer, that he was a thief, this and that ball. But I think they respected one another as as human beings because Nally actually advised William Russo to take his family and leave St. Louis and the criminal lifestyle behind him. And like said, that, said, is it out of like here. That,
1: that Robert De Niro, Al Pacino movie? I can't remember the name of it. Like Heat, when he when is he actually heat?
0: goes through. Yeah, I think I think there was I think there was a there was a sentiment there there was he had some sentiment in his heart because he actually he actually approached William Russo and said you need to get out of here, leave. He goes you're going to wind up dead, or you're going to wind up in jail. Your family doesn't deserve that. Leave. I I think I think he I think he um I think he really wanted to save people from themselves actually but the, f- the funny thing is is that uh he probably didn't have a lot of patience for the people
1: who were like beyond saving though
0: yeah yeah or, well or and, like the people you might have and so you had like you saving. had it wasn't it wasn't so lucky for uh green one's boss vito gianola uh so on uh on december 28th 1927 gianola was hiding in his attic when gunmen from a rival gang entered his house and Remember shot this. through the ceiling so you're hiding up in your attic from gunmen. you think that they don't they're not going to find you they shot through the ceiling firing 95 rounds 95 rounds into the ceiling they they had they had some machine guns and uh, 37 rounds hit Janola's body killing him think about the screams you you're getting shot not at you up under you up from under you yeah as you're as you're hiding in an attic not to mention it's like there's there's like zero
1: chance you survive it considering how much ammunition they pumped into the ceiling. It's like I mean, there's no like corner you could have like miraculously hidden in that would have left you like unscathed. Yeah. It
0: God, that was it was yeah. just that that's a that's a tough way to go Bullet out. Bullet probably went through uh his junk first. Ugh.
1: Yeah, think about that uh-huh.
0: oh, Now No, so uh, but yeah, no, so so yeah, Vito Giannola obviously didn't get out alive. Uh William Russo did. Uh, thanks, to, uh, thanks to Captain Alley. I, th- I think he did. I don't think that he returned. I don't think that he was killed or anything like that. I didn't find anything on William Russo, but he, Captain Alley basically said, get the fuck out of town. Like, take your family. Well, I think maybe leave. the fact that... Leave uh, the criminal lifestyle behind you.
1: That you don't know anything probably proves that he did.
0: Probably proves that he did. Uh, but ultimately, the gangland wars in St. Louis were put to bed thanks to the work of uh, tough cops like Frank Nally. And the, the cool thing is, is, it wasn't just Frank Nally. Law enforcement all over the city pitched in. It's not like you just had this one cop. There's one, there's one police captain that was in Soulard and the Cuckoo, the Cuckoo gangs, which were the Syrian gangs and the and like um, Irish Irish German gangs uh, in Soulard, actually um, he 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 was dealing with them at the time. Mm-hmm. They were fighting a war with the Italians as well. So so we'll get into that. We'll have we'll have more episodes on that. But uh, yeah, it would actually be years before the Italians would actually have another organized crime syndicate in in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and gang uh, gang homicide in the Fourth District of Car Street was virtually gone. Uh, and then, and then now he turned his attention to uh, the needs of the community. He, he was so generous. Uh, he gave considerable amounts to charity, uh, Helped less fortunate families. Uh, he even helped that father, uh, Tim Dempsey, that we were talking about uh, organizing a free kitchen. But as, as one rule, he said, nobody could be drunk in the bread line. <laughs> and if you were drunk, he'd remove you. And seriously, that guy removing you. You, you, you fucked up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like this generous guy, but this guy that would fight old school gangsters with cobblestone bricks. You know what I'm saying? And his fists and all that kind of stuff and called it good, clean fun. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you don't want that guy removing you. uh. But yeah, so here's here's the sad part. Prohibition, which had caused most of the violence on the streets of St. Louis during that time, uh, came to an end December 5th, 1933. That's just a couple days ago that the anniversary was. Yeah. Uh, December 5th, 1933, but Captain Nally actually died four months before that, before Prohibition ended. He died of heart disease. So he actually didn't get to see that law come into place. Now, I don't know if that would have meant a lot to him. Do you think that that would have meant, meant a lot to him? Like, oh, finally, like, you're not going to, you know? You know, I
1: mean, like, considering, I mean, it was... A little bit his life's work kind of uh yeah. rooting out um these Criminals. like these bad eggs. Yeah. For sure. Uh I you know, I think it, I think it would have led to some like maybe some consternation. Maybe he kind of liked the ability to go after them for bootlegging and like was able to kind of like what he maybe he saw them as bad eggs no matter what. And so possibly that was like, Ooh, like taking gave a, him an excuse, a, yeah, a, a tool, a, to be able to harass them or to be able to arrest them and charge them with something. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that, maybe it would have. Maybe it would have made see, him happy that like, he doesn't have to like go after like what he saw as maybe like. Rather than like chaotic bad, like neutral bad. Yeah. Like I mean, like but someone's gonna fill that hole See, no matter this what is, I do.
0: This is this is my question that I had about him. I mean, he died at I want to say fifty eight years old, uh, 50, 54 or fifty eight that he died. Um, but th- my question that I had about him that fifty eight years old he died. But the one thing that that pon- that that ponder I that I ponder is he was he was they called him the knight of the nightstick. He really was a knight. And he wasn't married. He didn't have any children. He his job was even like on his off days or his off nights, he'd be at the station critiquing other people's work, looking stuff up, doing this, doing that, helping people out, training guys. His life was up being a police officer. And what happens like during Prohibition? Obviously, there's always going to be a war to fight. You know what I'm saying? But do you think that a guy like that would have ever rested? Like can a warrior truly rest? Or is a warrior always looking for the next war to fight? That's my that's my quite that's my philosophical question to to I uh, to close out this, uh, <laughs> this discussion. Oh, wait. <clears throat> I got it. Maybe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh no, you know what? I mean when something is like that important to you, I feel like he would have found some like way of contributing like i feel like uh like even like retired cops now like um they don't they don't maybe like fight crime but they're more likely to report crimes um they're more likely to be witnesses on the stand for uh trials they're uh i'm just going by percentage David well here. i
0: mean look at look at David Dorn uh the the cop mm-hmm. that was the, the cop that was uh unfortunately gunned down um in front of the store he was he was guarding a store he was a, he was a retired police yep. officer and mm-hmm. he was and he was working security for his buddy's business. There you go. Now I don't know if he was working for, um, I don't know if he was working for financial reasons, like he needed the money, or he just kind of wanted to be there. He wanted to he wanted to be protecting somebody. Maybe a little bit of both. I, I think when you take that oath, I, I wanted to be a cop. Like you can't for, just live on your pension. I wanted to be a cop for years. I actually still think about it here and there. But, um, I th- I think it was I think it's a little bit of both that when you when you take that oath to serve and protect you're always looking for somebody to serve and somebody to protect i really do Mm -hmm. but he was yeah captain captain frank nally was a true hero now this is now this is cool this is like this is actually this is where it's like a hero's journey right here uh when he died he had a police funeral in st louis here in st louis and then his body was sent back to his native ireland to the town where he grew up so that he may rest under fields of green with his family he was literally an Irish immigrant, came over here, did his duty, did his job, died, was sent back, and was buried back to where he was. Right. And I feel like that that that's just kind of that just kind of hits hits home with me because you know my I'm well, I'm half Sicilian, I'm half Irish, right? So this whole thing and <laughs> uh, and I think my mother's my mother's uh, grandfather actually worked with Frank Nally at the police station. Huh. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that. Uh, um that that was kind of like uh, um that it just kind of hits home to me that that's like a, that's almost like a that's like a tale you know that that's a that's a that's a knight's tale yeah. basically like that's that's the story gonna... of a warrior that's the story you know you you're raised in this distant land you come to this land and you become this hero and you put away put away bad guys and fight the enemy and fight evil and then they take you home you find it you finally yeah. go you finally go home but you ret- you, you return home he never he never got to see home again, but his body returned home right you know and that was uh with with his family and I know that he left his estate to some of his family which is actually a considerable considerable amount i mean think about it you're working as a police captain back then you're you're getting paid you're living in a hotel room and you're you know you have no aspirations of wealth so he probably had a whole bunch of money saved up, or like up.
1: having like a big family or anything like that.
0: People yeah. support. Yeah, you have no. Yeah. So, anyway, but uh, yeah. So as I stated before, like you know, many people in this day and age they don't trust the police, um, and which is which is sad. And I know that there's 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 your bad apples out there. There there really are. Um, Definitely. But but for every bad apple, you have ten good ones, if not more. I I know I I got a lot of friends that are cops and a lot of um a lot of people that I trust in law enforcement and um i, I feel like just people when they when they look at a saint louis police officer next time mm-hmm. just remember frank nally right? right and 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 remember that there are people that are willing to go 12 rounds with evil um for you for you yeah. you know remember the legacy you left behind and um, all that kind of stuff Thank you guys for listening to another episode of STL True Crime. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Also, don't forget to visit our website, undergroundstl.com, for our other shows and podcasts that take you deep into a street-level view of the greater St. Louis area.